Okay, welcome back, everybody. Again, this is Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. You know, if you've got your hymnal at home, you might want to just uh, thumb through some of the hymns under the uh, title End Times. I'm looking at one in particular. It's, it's hymn 508, The Day is Surely Drawing Near. I'm going to quote a couple of stanzas from that hymn to reemphasize the biblical teaching that we were talking about before the break about being ready. And being ready for, the, for our death in the last day is just simply trusting what God has done for you in Christ Jesus and what God gives you uh, for Christ's sake in word and sacrament. Check out verse 5. My Savior paid the debt I owe. <laughs> are you ready? Yeah, you are. Because my Savior paid the debt I owe. And for my sin was smitten. Within the book of life, I know my name has now been written. Because of Jesus, you see. I will not doubt, for I am free. And Satan cannot threaten me. There is no condemnation. And when I hear that language, I hear Romans 8. Just blasting forth. Then verse 6. May Christ our intercessor be, and through his blood and merit, read from his book that we are free with all who life inherit. Then we shall see him face to face with all his saints in that blessed place, which he has purchased for us. Oh, that's just delicious. Just delicious. Brent, if, if what you say and what we sing is true, then that just changes everything. I mean, it changes, you know, the way I live. Say more. Well, I don't have to be about trying to prepare and make myself ready. If it is finished in Christ, I, I live in that by faith, which now frees me up to spend my time and energy and, and, and focus and love on something else. There you hit it. You used the F word. Uh-oh. Free. Paul uses this. For freedom, Christ has set you free. That's where, so you're a free man. You're a free woman. You're not bound, pardon my language, to the slavery or the, the bondage of 24-7, 365, trying to justify yourselves and get reconciled with God somehow because you are in Christ. And so now you're a free man to live differently, as you said, which is spelled F-A-I-T-H and L-O-V-E. Faith toward God, love towards other people. It's just, you're a free person. So, so people, it, so if somebody judges you negatively, you can say, yeah, I sinned. Yeah, I confess it. I, that's right, I sinned. Your judgment about me there is correct. But you know what? Jesus has another judgment. I'm forgiven for Christ's sake. Now, see, if you don't believe that you're forgiven for Christ's sake and people judge you negatively, or if your conscience or you, you judge yourself negatively, you're bound. You live in a, a penitentiary. And then you have to make that right. Your entire life is constantly trying to make this right. And I heard a smart guy say one time that that's really preaching your own sermons to yourself that don't match the sermons that God gives you in his word. Um, God says you're saved for the sake of Christ. But so often our conscience and our sinful nature says, no, you've got to earn it or you don't deserve it. And, and that's it's, it's really a sin against listening to God's word because you're saying a different word that doesn't match what God tells you. Uh, sometimes we do that to ourselves as well as people doing it to us, which is what we see in our society today, right? You're guilty. You don't uh, deserve any forgiveness. In fact, this new state religion, there is no forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. If you messed up 20 years ago, your life gets destroyed now forward, forever. Go back, go back to the, the Reformation, what was being preached with the indulgences. Was, was the preaching of those sermons, if you will, the, the indulgence sermon, was that freeing? 
No, not ultimately. No, it wasn't. That's what was promised. But it was all based upon you. Right. It, and, and, and so uh, <clears throat> one indulgence after another. You keep coming back uh, seeking more and more indulgence because you know, there's no certainty. Isn't there that great story, too, about the knight who went and robbed John Tetzel and stole all the gold that he'd collected? And John Tetzel, the indulgence salesman, was yelling at him, you're going to go to hell for this. And the knight stopped, turned around, and reached in his pocket and pulled out an indulgence said, nope, I don't think so, <laughs> and then rode off. Have you heard that one? I have not. No. Oh, yeah. I've, I've got it downstairs. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a fascinating story. By the way, go back. For, you, you said, Scott, they'd go back. They had to go, always go back for another indulgence. Sure. Reminds me of uh, the kissing theological cousins called American Evangelicals, who, when they take their theology seriously, namely, you're not saved until you do something, namely, make a decision for Jesus. Well, that's why you have people constantly, repeatedly going up to the anxious, anxious binge and making a decision for Jesus. Because you can never be sure. That's the point. Well, and 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 multiple baptisms, then too, exactly. as well. That's right. Our point is, is that there is certainty of salvation because of what Christ has done for you once and for all. Now, back to the Matthew twenty-four text. What's interesting in verse uh, twenty-one? This is really good news for us because here comes Panhandler uh, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, seriously, this is really good news because we are tempted, and I'm I'm number one at this. Uh, to be so pessimistic about the times in which we live, as if these are the worst times ever in the history of the world. Well, look at the verse again, verse 21. Jesus says when he talks about the, the time period between 66 to 70 AD, he says there, there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. So Matthew 24 isn't all just gloom and doom. There's nuggets of good news to be sifted. Let me sift that. I told everybody I was going to do that, so let me do that. The point is, is Jesus is saying, look, folks, things will never be quite as bad as they were in the days of 66 to 70 AD. Because Jesus says that the distress of those days in Jerusalem, I'm quoting the Lord. He says it. I don't. He says that those days will never be equaled again in the history of the world. You see what I'm saying? I think and, we missed that. Well, and I and I hear that, and I can't help but thinking what the Lord says after the chaos of the flood. Never again shall creation be destroyed in this way. Once again, good news, even in the midst of that right. destructive chaos. Right, right, right. And what's interesting, too, let's continue verse 22. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for here, listen carefully. But for the sake, the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. What's the point? Is that God watches over who? His elect, his church, and He guards and protects His church. Uh, let me put it to you another way: The Lord Jesus Christ will not let the church be exterminated from the face of the from from the face of the earth. And see, for me. That is, that's really good news because I'm a pessimist. The old Adam in me is such a pessimist that I think the days in which I live right now are the worst in the history of the world. But, we, but Jesus says just the opposite, you see. So we don't despair. And, and for those, those people in, in 66 to 70 AD, if those days would not have been cut short, they would have all been destroyed. But Jesus preserves this. He preserves them from that. And he will us as well. 
Now the church won't disappear, but it will be pruned and and, and made more healthy by, uh, boy, I don't know how to say it, the hypocrites being driven out in the times of suffering that we face, right? Uh, but in the face of that, the promise is still there that it will exist and continue. So I'm sifting out the gold here. Uh, let me say it this way. Jesus says that those days would be shortened. If they wouldn't, you know, okay, if those days would not have been shortened, then there would not be a church on earth. There wouldn't be any gospel. There wouldn't be any sacraments. Or, as I like to say, there'd no, there wouldn't be any hangers-on of the Lord Jesus Christ because the Roman armies would have extinguished, would have exterminated everybody if those days were not cut short. So Jesus will not allow the church to cease from existence on the face of the earth. And so for the sake of his elect children, God then puts a limit and he puts a boundary on the persecution of the, of the church. Uh, you know, Paul puts it this way. I'm going to paraphrase in his, one of his letters to the Corinthians. He, uh, God will not let his Christians be tested beyond their limits. But he's going to see us all through to the last day. Now, you guys all, you all remember Psalm 30. Because you guys pray the Psalms and you lead your people in praying the Psalms. Psalm 30 verse 5 where it says, Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the, the morning. morning. And the reason I bring this up is I, I mentioned... In our previous segment, I brought Job into the mix here. And I want to bring Job back in. Okay, Now, Scott, you're shaking your head. Did you want to say more? Well, about no, that? I was just going to bring that up. I've been listening to you talk, and that sounds like, uh, sounds like Job, where God uh, puts limits upon what will be inflicted upon him. Yes, and he did, didn't he? Yeah. You can do everything to him except take his life, God said. And Satan must obey when God speaks his word that way. Yeah. And yeah. so even in the midst of everything that Job goes through, uh, God is a is a refuge and strength for Job. Uh, the The Lord still preserves His church. Exactly. Yes. So, um, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And so we may suffer for a while, like Job did, but we have the promise of Jesus that we Christians will be restored and we will rejoice in the end. And why is that? Well, because Paul says that God works everything for good and blessing to those who love him in Romans 8. Even though sometimes in our life it appears that he's doing just the opposite, like in Job's life. I mean, think, put yourself in Job's shoes. The temptation is, is God must hate me. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, this wouldn't be happening to me. And of course, that's what his friends say, essentially. You know what? Obviously, God doesn't like you anymore, doesn't love you anymore. This is why this happened to you. And so that one might endure in these days, how does the Lord sustain us? Well, he manifests his love to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so though, though they take everything else away, though you're stripped to the bone, if you will, but you have Christ and his reconciliation, yeah. now you have life. Exactly. Now you have hope. Job, Job is the epitome of what Paul says in Romans 1. The righteous live by faith. By faith. That's Job. He, he didn't listen to his wife who said, just curse God and die. He didn't listen to his friends who said, well, obviously you've done some great thing that's really hacked God off and I didn't love you anymore. But he lives by faith in the promises of God, despite God appearing to be, and I'm, I'm piggybacking off of Luther's language, even though God appears to be the devil. <laughs> I love that with Luther. He's so insightful that God sometimes appears to be the devil. Now, will you trust him? And the answer is yes. I believe Think of Abraham. I, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So go sacrifice your one and only son. Yeah, but you promise that it's through him that the salvation of the world will come. And so, uh, so Abraham lived by faith. Yeah. God, even if he dies, he'll, I'll come back with him. And notice it's faith 
in a word of God, too. Always. Those two always go together. Yep. Faith is always faith, not in faith, but faith in an external objective promise of God. Not, not, not in our own sermons that we preach. Correct. Well, if they preach the word of God faithfully... Yes. I just making reference to what Adam said earlier, how yeah. we like to preach our own, oh, yes. our own words go. to ourselves, oh, yes. words that are contrary to God's there word. There we go. I missed that. And so God's word has to, you know, like Luther would say, here I stand. There's there's Porath quoting Moline quoting Kuhlman. <laughs> oh, mercy. And it's, it's a free-for-all. Dustin Hoffman has got to be thrown in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, in Matthew 24, Jesus prepares his disciples and all of us for a cold, gives us a cold dose of reality, if you will. He tells everybody. And his disciples. This is what's going to happen ahead of time. Uh, so that his disciples and we all then will face the future neither with uh, uh, being fearful or fantasy, if you will. Making things up. Oh, I hear the music, which means we're going to have to stop. So I can't wait to talk more from Matthew 24, my friends. In the meantime, stay Lutheran.